It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Coming up on Stu Does America, our nation and the world are on the precipice of a major change, and Glenn Beck is here to tell us how to prepare for it. Inflation is at its highest that it's been since the 1980s, which is appropriate because the president is older than anybody in history. I think he's the oldest person that was, that's ever lived, so he, maybe he can have some perspective on this. A professional football coach was fired, and he happened to be black. Fired for coaching while black. That's how this works, right? I'm pretty sure. Let's try and catch up with the left on this one, as we do the woke NFL. Stu does America. Allow me to take you back to the greatest football game ever played. Super Bowl 52, Philadelphia Eagles versus Tom Brady and the evil New England Patriots. And there's a moment right before halftime, a big moment. And Nick Foles comes over to his coach, Doug Peterson. They're at like the one or two yard line. It's the last play before the half, trying to figure out what to do. And he comes over and he says to Peterson, he says, you want to go Philly Philly here? And Doug Peterson looks at him and goes, yeah, let's do it. And then they go back and there's a direct snap to Corey Clement who pitches it uh, to the tight end, who then throws it to Nick Foles in the end zone for one of the greatest touchdowns in Super Bowl history. Now, bring yourself back to your childhood for, for here, just for a second, and think about you reliving that play if you were a kid that year. What role would you be playing? Would you be Nick Foles, who catches the touchdown uh, in the Super Bowl? Or would you be Doug Peterson, who's most famous for going, yeah, okay, let's do it. You're going to be Nick Foles, right? You want to be the guy scoring the touchdown, not the guy holding the clipboard on the sideline. When we are kids, we dream about playing in the NFL. Every little boy does that at some point in his life, wants to grow up, play in the NFL. And yet we are a country that has an African-American population of about 12 or 13 percent. And yet they have 60 to 70 percent of the jobs playing in the NFL, the jobs that every little kid wants. Why is that? Is it because African-Americans are just better at sports than white people? I mean, first of all, we're much better at punting. I'll say that right off the bat. We, we are a, a race of punters. But I guess if you say something like that, you're a racist. I don't know. I don't know why there's more African-Americans than the population percentage. But I'm pretty sure it's not because the NFL is racist against African-Americans. That doesn't make any sense. If they were racist against African-Americans, you'd think they'd give them a lower population uh, percentage than their population would indicate. Instead, it's five and six times. That's because they've earned those players as individuals, not as members of a race, have earned those jobs. That's how this works. Yet we're told constantly that the NFL is filled with racism. Now, the biggest way that they usually talk about this is talking about uh, the coaching situation. And there's a new column out uh, from uh, Doug Farrar who says black NFL coaches have never been more poorly represented than they are now. Now, it's always interesting on this because they compare the percentage of players in the NFL to the percentage of coaches uh, that coach in the NFL. Now, why would you do that? The, the, 
there's no reason that the, necessarily being a player makes you a better coach. I mean, Andy Reid is a Hall of Fame coach. He looks like your fat grandpa, right? Like, I mean, it, it, the, the, the skill sets are not the same for these jobs. So maybe white people would represent about what their normal population would be. That's a very offensive thing, apparently, uh, to, to uh, everybody writing about race in the NFL. Uh, Doug Farrar notes that there are exactly two black head coaches in the NFL, which would be slightly lower uh, percentage population than, uh, than their representation. However, the new hires haven't happened yet, so you have to kind of wait and look. But why wait when you can just write the column? Uh, Mike Tomlin and David Culley uh, of the Texans. Now, David Culley of the Texans is an interesting case because when he was hired, they said his hiring was racist. He's an African-American coach because they gave him the job with a really crappy franchise in, in Houston, the Texans, who were in the middle of turmoil. And they said, well, of course they gave that job to an African-American. It's a crappy job. There's only 32 of them. How crappy could it be? Uh, he goes on to, by the way, note, uh, and he's talking mainly about the Brian Flores firing. He's the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And this was a little surprising, kind of, if you follow football. Um, and it, because uh, the Miami Dolphins finished nine and eight this year, they didn't make the playoffs. They were a team coming in that everyone kind of thought had a really good chance at the playoffs. And they missed by basically a game. However, they started the season one and seven. That, by the way, is included in this column as, meanwhile, Flores was fired after the Dolphins started 1-7, but won eight of their last nine games. Well, starting 1-7 is kind of a problem, right? That's why they missed the playoffs. That's also him. It was, he was that coach, too. Uh, he, uh, Doug Farrar does note, by the way, if you need proof from this season, he's going to tell you about Joe Judge. He's the coach of the Giants, a white guy who, at 10-23, and 23, still has his job. When this guy wrote the column, a couple days later, he was fired. So I don't know if that proof worked out all that well, but I mean, what do you expect in this day and age? Um, the Washington Examiner has a column uh, about sports media's obsession with the race of NFL coaches is ridiculous. And he is right. Uh, it is completely ridiculous. And he goes through a bunch of examples. I want to hit some of them here um, as we talk about this. But it's important to understand how ridiculously insane all of this is. This constant focus on race as this dividing issue. You know, I mean, you saw this happen the other day with Joe Biden's speech on elections. Joe, Jim Crow 2.0, just, just tearing at the scars of an awful period of our history. But we are not in those times anymore. This is, it's, a, it's, it's a terrible nightmare to think we'd go back to those times. Why do they keep trying to drag us back into this er, era where races warred with each other over the color of their skin? I want to leave that behind. Why does the left not want to leave it behind? Flores uh, was fired from the Miami Dolphins. He went nine and eight. But the reason he was fired, of course, a lot of this happened uh, almost immediately after the firing. At first, people were like, well, that's kind of surprising. Let's look into it. Reporters did look into it. And what they found was he was fired because of a power struggle with management. Now, this is interesting because this was immediately identified as racism. But when you realize the power struggle was with the general manager and his quarterback. And you look at the two people we're talking about, what you might notice, and I'll explain this slowly for those on podcasts who don't have the visuals to assist them. One is African-American, the other is Samoan. So the Miami Dolphins picked their black GM over their black coach, and people wrote columns about how racist it was. What? I mean, are they even trying to make these points coherent anymore? Now, of course, 
This happens all the time, time after time after time. Coaches who do pretty well have power struggles with upper management or a player, and they wind up getting bounced. This happens all the time. Let me give you some examples. Jimmy Johnson, 1994, he was fired. He had a power struggle with management. I guess this one, however, was not racism. Okay, because he's white. Jim Harbaugh, he's white. He was fired in 2014. Uh, power struggle with management. I guess that one's not racism either. How about Marty Schottenheimer in 2007? Fired after a 14-2 season. 14-2. He was fired because of a power struggle with management. Because he's white, though, that's not racism. And it's not always the coaches who win these power struggles. Sometimes, uh, it's not always the general managers who win these uh, power struggles. Sometimes the coaches win them too. Like in Tennessee, 2006, Floyd Reese fired. He was had a power struggle with a head coach. And this one, because he's white, I guess is not racism. Mike McCagnan, New York Jets, 2019. He was fired with a power, after a power struggle with his head coach. And I guess we're going to say that one is not racism because he's white as well. An issue very close to my heart, Howie Roseman. Uh, he was, uh, of course, the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles. He wasn't fired, but he was demoted in 2015 because he had a power struggle with his head coach, Chip Kelly. He's white, so I guess we say it's not racism. Uh, but then, a little bit later on, Chip Kelly uh, wound up actually losing that power struggle back to Howie Roseman. Yeah, Chip Kelly. He was fired in 2015. He had a power struggle with management, and I guess that one's not racism either because he was fired in 2015 after winning the power struggle originally in 2015. In the Doug Farrar column, he mentions Jim Caldwell, who's, who's been a good coach for a long time. Caldwell was fired in 2018, and he was fired, and people use this as an example of racism because Jim Caldwell is an African-American head coach, and he was fired after le leading the uh, Lions to a couple of... Uh, Five, uh, slightly above 500 years, nine and seven type seasons, but they were kind of a high point of recent Detroit Lions history. And he got fired because he couldn't get them past that point. Uh, and I guess that one is racism because he's African-American. However, Jack Del Rio, who was fired in 2017, one year after going 12 and four, he was fired. And I guess that one's not racism because he's white. No one writes those columns. Steve Wilkes was mentioned in this particular column by Doug Farrar. Uh, and this is December 31st, 2018. He was fired. And he was fired after only one season. They give this African-American a head coach. Yeah, sure, he had a crappy 3-13 and 13 season, but he was let go after one season. That only happens to black coaches. Would never happen to a white coach, right? That's racism. Also, let me tell you about Mike Malarkey, who in 2013 went 2-14 in his one season with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And uh, he was fired after that one season. But that one, because he's white, is not racism. Or Rob Chizinski, uh, who in 2013 was also fired. Uh, he was fired after one season of going 4-12. and 12, And that one clearly not racism because he's white as well. Does any of this make sense to you? Does any of it make sense at all to you? It doesn't make any sense to me. Remember that whole Howie Roseman, Chip Kelly thing I was talking about here a couple of minutes ago? This is the Philadelphia Eagles, the general manager and the coach who went back and forth and back and forth. Um, they battled it out. First, Chip Kelly got hired. They got into a power struggle. Then Howie Roseman 
lost the power struggle, kind of got demoted to the back office. A year later, he won the power struggle back and Chip Kelly got fired. When he was fired, he was replaced by Doug Peterson, the coach I was telling you about at the beginning. He went on to lead the Philadelphia Eagles to their first Super Bowl, the greatest football game ever played. After that Super Bowl, he went to the playoffs the next two consecutive seasons, had one bad season, and then he got fired too because he disagreed with management. He's white as well. This happens over and over and over again. This is not racism. It happens to white coaches. It happens to black coaches. It happens to everyone. The only thing that's racist, in my opinion, in this league is there is an actual league rule that says you must hire or at least, excuse me, you must interview someone who is a minority every time you have an opening for a head coaching job. So there is one rule that requires something to be done because of the color of your skin. It's not against African-American candidates. However, it is for them and is supported by all the people who complain about racism. Um, Is this a racist league? I mean, seriously, how on earth could anyone think this is a racist league? I have a lot of friends who are conservatives and are so sick of seeing all the woke nonsense presented in NFL games. They can't even watch it. If you happen to be someone who doesn't want every issue to be decided by skin color, it's difficult to watch professional sports these days. So the last thing the NFL is to most of the country is racist. The black and and other minority players get the best jobs. This is, uh, you know, consistent through uh, the NBA and the NFL. Yeah, I mean, there are some white coaches. Sometimes the percentage of, of representation is a little lower than you'd expect in the population, as it might be right now. However, it could be higher in just a couple of days when the new batch of coaches get hired. This is this is the thing when there's only 32 jobs. You know, that's just the way it is. Your representation might be much higher and much, lo- much lower in different years. So what does this mean? It means that we should look honestly at this sort of stuff and stop taking this racial nonsense uh, and taking it seriously. It's, it's just not a serious argument. You know, the NFL players and the NFL teams want to win games and make money. Probably, if you're looking at teams, number one, eh, probably make money. Number two, win some games. They are not looking to eliminate people based on the color of their skin, at least not today. Decades and decades ago, yeah. Those problems are long gone. They're long gone. Long gone. I mean, think about what has happened. They'll put Antonio Brown on a team. Antonio Brown has like a zillion charges against him. He's gone insane 40 times on the Internet. He took his shirt off finally and threw it into the stands. They finally kicked him out. This is like his 10th chance. He was a good player. They kept bringing him back over and over again. Kareem Hunt is on video kicking a woman in the head, and yet he's on the Cleveland Browns. They don't seem to have any problem. If you're a good player, they're going to put you on a team. Michael Vick got convicted and went to prison for killing puppies. Most people who kill puppies are not able to recover from that. And he was able somehow to do so, get back in the NFL and go back on TV like nothing ever happened. Is this racism in action? I don't think so. This is a disappointment to the left because they want everything to be about race. But this has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with race. I mean, look, if Tom Brady killed puppies, he'd be back in the league, too. I'm not saying uh, I mean, Tom Brady can pretty much do whatever he wants and somebody would find a job for the guy. They just throw him on the team. 
I mean, gosh, the guy seemed to almost indicate he was a Trump supporter and they'll let him in the league. That's unlike any other business in America. Yes, there are cases of of actual racism. We've covered them. I mean, the L.A. Clippers owner from years ago, that was a really bad thing. It's not to say that no one is racist. Of course, racism exists. It's a human weakness. It's not a white guy weakness. It's not a black guy weakness. It's a human weakness that has infected humanity for way, way, way too long. It's an obvious, pathetic, pathetic response to life. To judge someone from their skin, because of their skin color is stupid, and it should always be avoided. This is our little friendly rule we have here on this program. You should never, ever, in your entire life, make a decision based on skin color. Never. Don't do it at all, and you won't have to worry about racism, or at least that's what I used to think. Now, you're supposed to make decisions based on skin color. You're supposed to interview candidates based on skin color. You're supposed to justify to the media if you fire someone for starting a season with a playoff caliber team and going one and seven, they lose their job and you have to justify why it's not racism despite the fact that the general manager is also black. None of this makes any sense at all. And that's why we continue to bring these stories up because we have to call this stuff out when it exists. I have the, this is the, uh, the mug. Wokeness is weakness. And it's true. Wokeness isn't just an annoying argument. It's not just a pathetic um, uh, attempt to justify race-based policies that we should have left behind a long time ago. It's also just weak. It's weakness. This is a country that has been taken over by this strain of thought that is just increasingly more and more pathetic. Wokeness is weakness. And we, as the United States of America, we were told we were the last superpower in this, in this globe, on this globe. We, of all countries, should stay away from wokeness and weakness. Let's talk about uh, disruptors, things like smartphones, streaming services. Think about that. There was a time where you used to, remember you used to get the uh, Netflix DVDs mailed to you and they'd come in the mail and you'd return them in the mail. And then all of a sudden blockbusters started to go away. And then all of a sudden everybody was watching Netflix online and it seemed to happen in like six months. Uh, another company that does something that's really disruptive to an industry is called Ladder. They, they took on the life insurance industry, and they kind of flipped it upside down. They shook out all the inefficiencies. Before Ladder, if you wanted to get life insurance, if you've ever gone through this process, you have to drive across town. you got to sit down through a sales pitch. you got to fill out a ton of paperwork, wait six to eight weeks, maybe go to a doctor, get blood tests, I don't know, all this sort of stuff. With Ladder, you can get fast, affordable term life insurance without even leaving home. It's 100% digital uh, when you apply for $3 million or less in coverage. No doctors, no needles, no paperwork. So if you're between the ages of 20 and 60 and you need coverage and you want to team up with a company that is redeeming life insurance, choose Ladder. Go to ladderlife.com slash stew today. See if you're instantly approved. It's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash stew. Check this out now. It's, gonna pro- it's probably on your list. It's a new year. Maybe take care of this thing that's been bouncing around your to-do list for the last couple of years. Ladderlife.com slash stew. Check it out. 
Joining me now uh, via Skype, because he can't stand to be in the same room as me, is Glenn Beck. His newest book is available now, The Great Reset. You finally get it. Joe Biden and the Rise of the 21st Century Fascism. Be sure to grab a copy today. Glenn, thanks for coming on the program. True that. True, true that. Thank you for that uh, wonderful incitement mm-hmm. comment. Um, first of all, congratulations on the book. It's out. Uh, it came out yesterday. It is number one on all of Amazon right now. Uh, it passed uh, Atomic Habits, which was number two, which, by the way, is a great book, and I would highly recommend buying that one instead of this one. But if you're there, you can buy both, I suppose. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And the Betty White book, the golden, uh, the little golden book of Betty White looks pretty exciting, too. But anyway, yeah, this is, um, I mean, Stu, we've been talking about this for about two years, and you know it has been a real wrestle to get this book uh, right, because uh, so much of it has been in play for a very long time, but it has been hidden in many ways, and it is everywhere. And that's why we wrote the book, because nobody really knows the truth on any of it, and it is the answer to the cancer. It is the cancer that we're all now facing. Yeah, and I will say, uh, really well-timed book. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I, I mean the congratulations, but I, the reason I bring up Atomic Habits is Atomic Habits is a book about changing your life and changing the way your habits are, and it's January. It's like New Year's resolution time. The fact that you're beating that out, I think, shows that people are really interested in that topic, um, and I think people have a lot of questions. So let me start here. There is this idea okay. that the Great Reset is... Uh, a conspiracy theory. This is what, and, and I will say, you can go on the internet and find a lot of false information. You can find a lot of sure conspiratorial can. information on the Great Reset. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did you decide to write a book about this, and why is it so important? Because this really, truly is what's going on. You remember, Stu, when we first talked about progressivism and Woodrow Wilson, and everybody's like, why are you talking about that? And they couldn't understand, but I said it was the grand unifying theory. Once you understand where this came from and how they started, what their intention was, all you had to do is just, it, everything made sense. This is to the power of a thousand, uh, uh, that kind of revelation. This will open your eyes to everything and explain literally everything that is going on that just doesn't seem to make sense. And if we're not fighting the right battle, if we can't name the enemy, then we're destined to lose. And this is the World Economic Forum's uh, plan. It's the Davos people. And it involves our corporations, uh, our global uh, uh, leadership. It involves the UN, the UK, France, uh, the Paris Treaty Accords, global warming, equity, uh, you know, transgender stuff, you name it. It is all part of the Great Reset. And so one of the reasons why we wrote this is there's about 50 pages of very fine print footnotes uh, because we want you to know where can you get this information. So you never have to quote me. Uh, we put all the quotes in there from them on their own official sites. Uh, that way you can make the case to your friends. But this is a book that I think the entire world, Western world, should read because everyone is going down this in the West. And it is our final destruction. It truly is. Um, I'm currently reading the book. Uh, and um, so far, I'm this far in. Um, 
Got to, I got through this That's one the, here, the and then content. this one. I got this. This one's yeah. red right here, and now I'm to this one. Yeah. And this right, page okay. says also uh -huh. by Glenn Beck. And the reason I bring this up, I, I'm actually much further in the book, but uh, the reason I bring this up is mm -hmm. the first thing also by Glenn Beck is your last book called Arguing with Socialists, and that book was a, an important one. It gave a lot of the the arguments against socialism, mm -hmm. sort of the rise of the AOC branch of the Democratic Party. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people would say, well, the Great Reset, you're, you're again taking on socialism. But it's not the same thing. No, it's not. It is the, um, you know, it's the Nazis, and I hate to bring them in, and not saying this is a Nazi movement. Um, what I'm saying is that the Nazis um, had fascism, but it was based in socialism. Yeah. Uh, socialism was also communist. It was based in socialist theory. But they branched off. One was uh, communism. The state owns everything. And then once that transition is made, the state's supposed to give everything to the people, but it never happens. Um, when it comes to fascism, fascism is still socialism, except uh, there are groups of people up at the top that partner with private corporations and, uh, and companies. And instead of the government owning everything, it's a private uh, public partnership. That's the kind of socialism this is. And it was really hard to understand um, because I, I think the socialists have been used a great deal by these people at the top. And when the socialists find out what this really is all about, when the people who really care about global warming and everything else realize how badly they're being played by the Davos people, uh, I mean, it is, it's not going to be good. It's just not going to be good. But it's not a socialist thing. It is 21st century fascism. Uh, one of the, th the things I think makes this so uh, potentially powerful and difficult to defeat is that like, it seems like these old movements on the left would be Basically, they would say, we need to convince the American people that capitalism is bad and America is bad. And once we do that, they'll come to our way of thinking. And I think the average American will just not sign up for that. They don't believe capitalism is bad when they really think about it. They don't believe America is a bad influence on the world. So they don't see it that way. It seems like with the Great Reset, one of the cases you're making is they've given up on that. They've given up kind of on saying mm -hmm. capitalism is bad. They're saying we'll use capitalism to try to f figure out a way to get to the same ends. Yeah, they're twisting the words. They don't mean capitalism. They're completely redefining it, but they are using some of the same language uh, to capture people. The, the, pro the, the real problem is, Stu, it doesn't matter what the people think. This is the biggest change in, in uh, global direction in the history of all mankind. And no one in the average sector has a say in it at all. They don't even know what it is. And it will change everything. I believe by 2030, the world could be starving because of this. Um, it, is, it is going to decimate everything that you can possibly wrap your head around. Um, and uh, uh, they are using the tricks to, to make it sound less scary, like it's, it is still capitalism, but it's not. But the most important thing to know is you have no place in this system. You are really, truly just a renter in this, and you will do as you're told. Um, and that's very, very clear. You're not really a stakeholder.
One of the things you spend some time on is, is, is focusing on the examples they're using to try to create this, um, and I think it goes back to uh, the pro- early progressive era as well, this constant state of war, right? We'll do all sorts of things. To, we'll, we'll break all sorts of our principles if we think there's a real threat. And, you know, the pandemic gave uh, a, a very good justification to change all of our beliefs um, because of we were in an emergency. Climate change is another one. You, you hit on both of those. What is climate change kind of the long term one once we get through the pandemic? Is that where they're going to go? I think climate change is the long term spending and crippling of power. I mean, they are shutting down the nuclear power plants uh, just uh, experimentally here, um, and they're reducing their power output uh, as they get ready for this great reset in France. And it is going to make the um, average person's bill on power 40% higher, Hmm. 40% higher. Um, And so they are um, moving with global warming, but that is really just to cripple, I believe, the average person and to redistribute uh, wealth. Um, The thing that concerns me the most is the next shoe to fall and the next shoe to fall i think is the last one and that is a global economic meltdown Um, it it is coming it's only a matter of time Um, and when that happens that puts all of this into play because they're going to have to reintroduce currency Um, they're going to have uh, a digital coin whether it's the united states or not i don't know but it'll be a digital coin. Any time that we've ever changed our currency back in the 1930s when we did it, the average person lost anywhere from 40 to 60% of all of their uh, savings and everything else. If the world does not go to the United States for a world reserve currency, we could be Venezuela overnight. And that's when people will accept this 100% without even thinking because they'll be hungry. Uh, how does Joe Biden play into this? I mean, the title, the subtitle of the book is uh, Joe Biden and the Rise of the 21st Century, uh, 21st Century Fascism. And Biden, uh, you know, the way you describe this is almost as if it's there is there are elites looking to do make these changes. But they're elites above what we would normally think of as elites. Right. They, this, it's not just like your congressman. It's, you know, your your high level, you know, power player in any individual city. These are above those levels. How does Biden play into this? Biden is the most powerful man in the world. That seat has always been the most powerful man in the world, the most uh, powerful uh, office in the world. Uh, You have to have the president uh, and the presidency. And he foreshadowed next week on our special, um, I'm going to show you, he foreshadowed all of this in his first uh, address to Congress. Um, And he asked the question several times, can our democracy compete now with uh, places like China and authoritarianism. Can we compete? And the jury is still out. Those are the kinds of things he was saying. He is all in. Remember, John Kerry said um, when he was asked by the World Economic Forum, uh, now that Joe Biden is getting in, are we going to see the United States move? And John Kerry said, faster than anyone could possibly imagine it's going to come. Uh, and it's going to be complete quickly. Um, all right. So 
Occasionally, and I don't know if you've ever recognized this before, but some people have called you a conspiracy theorist in the past. I don't know if you've ever heard that claim or if that's something familiar mm -hmm. to you in any way. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the mm -hmm. things I think the real hurdle you need to get over when you're talking about a, a, a concept as big as this with names that are, you know, you got George Soros's photo on the front, Joe Biden, all, you have to get past the, the idea of motivation. It doesn't make sense for uh, George Soros to want to ruin the world. Why would he want to do that? Why do the, what is the motivation for people involved in all of this planning? Why would Mr. Potter want to destroy um, Bedford Falls and make it into Pottersville? I mean, it is the oldest story. Mr. Potter gains. Everyone else's lose. But he's so convinced these poor people, what do they know? They have no jobs, they're worthless people. I'll just uh, build them these little houses and they can rent. That's, that is the story of the Great Reset, except it's on a global scale. It is Potter making Pottersville instead of Bedford Falls. Hmm, that's interesting. Now, is it something where they are just looking at this as enrichment, or do they see this? Is there a version of this for them that they really see this world as a better place? I, I don't know, Stu. I, I mean, mm -hmm. I would hate to think that everyone involved is that greedy and ugly. Um, however, uh, there's a sense of logic that is completely gone. There is a um, a detachment from reality and, and known quantitative facts and universal principles. So I, I can't imagine being this stupid. Um, however, I don't want to assign um, motives. I mean, the, the guy who was working for BlackRock, who started all of the ESG stuff for BlackRock and was uh, really a big part of their environmental movement, He's come out, he quit BlackRock and said, this is a scam. Mm. But his intent was real. And that's going to be where the rubber meets the road. When people who are involved in it now and do have true intent, they're going to see they've built this m monstrous machine. Uh, and, uh, and they are going to regret it. But I don't know what the percentage is. Well, the book goes through all of this and also solutions. How do we push back against something so big uh, and so daunting? I will tell you this. If there's one really book important. that you should buy uh, right now that I could highly recommend, it is uh, Atomic Habits. But also pick up Glenn Beck's brand new book, The Great Reset. <laughs> It's available now on Amazon. It's the number one book in the country. I don't know why I give him anything but color bars. <laughs> give him color bars from me, will you? Check this out, though. Seriously, you're going to want to know this stuff, and it's going to become a much bigger topic. It's one of these things. Glenn's done this before where he hits on something that is uh, at the beginning of everybody's understanding. And then, you know, six months later, uh, you know, when we go into 2024, they're going to be talking a lot about this. Get out ahead of it. Understand it before everybody else does. Glenn, thanks so much for coming on the program. You can get the book at glennsnewbook.com. Thank thanks, Glenn. If you had someone who understood the world as well as one Glenn Beck, and you thought to yourself, I wish I had someone like that to create a company that would help me pick a real estate agent. 
And what kind of world would that be? Well, guess what? You live in it. It's incredible. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. It's Glenn's company. He started it a while ago, and he did it because he wanted to make sure when he was going through a really important financial transaction, he had someone on his side uh, and someone who is, uh, you know, really, really on top of things so that when uh, when you when you have that idea, I'm, I might I want to overpay for that house or I want to fix this before I sell it. They can say, they maybe talk you down off that ledge and say, maybe that's not the right thing to do. Someone who understands the real estate market is better than anybody else. Who is that person in your area? Well, I don't know. I don't even know where you live. But real estate agents I trust, when you tell them where you live, they're going to know where the best uh, agent is and how you can find them. Go uh, get more information now at realestateagentsitrust.com. That's the place to go, realestateagentsitrust.com. Sometimes I think conservatives are a little too pessimistic. And, and I'm, you know, I can be a pessimist at times. If you listen to this show, sometimes, just occasionally, there's a little pessimism. But what I find interesting is a lot of times I'll hear from conservatives like, we're always losing. We always lose. No, you know, we, all these people on the left are crazy. We're losing all these elections. And I don't know that there's real support for that. But sometimes it does feel a little bit like, Nobody ever changes their mind. Nobody, everyone's listening to the mainstream media. They're not listening to the real facts. And nobody ever changes their mind. These people are unreachable. And it feels like you're pushing against uh, an unmovable object. Well, let me, let me stress this to you, because I, I, that's not true. Let me give you a mental picture. You go into an, a room uh, made up of the average people in America. I don't know, 100 of them. And you walk up and you grab a group of three of them. And you talk to them. Only one of the three actually thinks Joe Biden is doing a good job. Now, that is far too many. It should be zero of the three. But a new Quinnipiac poll is out today. Joe Biden has a 33% approval rating. To put that in perspective, that is the approval rating you saw at the lowest points of the, of the George W. Bush presidency. Um, you saw it at you know, Richard Nixon-type levels. 33% is approaching catastrophe for a presidency. You start getting under 30 and everything's falling apart and it probably doesn't turn around again. Um, 33% is the approval. Um, He was down from November where it was 36%. Why? Why is it so bad for Joe Biden? I mean, other than the fact that he's screwing everything up in the entire nation. But normally, like, I mean, I didn't think Barack Obama was doing a good job either. And his approval rating never came close to 33 percent. What's the difference here? Well, let me give you what's going on with inflation right now. Inflation soared at 7 percent in the past year. This is the most since 1982. You may recognize 40 years ago, 40 years ago. And if you look at the uh, prices and the uh, different categories where prices are up. It's really uh, amazing. Fresh vegetables, only 2%. Rent, 4%. Women's apparel, 5.9%. Dining out, up 6%. Roasted coffee, up 6.9%. Major appliances, up 84 Fresh fish and seafood, up 102 Furniture and bedding, up 13.8% in one year. Bacon and related products. How does bacon have its own category? That's a little strange. Uh, 18.6%. Hotels and motels up 23.9%. Used cars and trucks. Guess what idiot is trying to buy a used car right now? Your dumb host up 37.3%. And unleaded gasoline up 50.8%. Guess what dumb host is trying to buy a car that's a gas guzzler? (laughs) This one. It's incredible, though, when those things hit people. And those, those are things that it's not like, oh, well, the stock market's down a few percent. That's stuff that smacks the average person right in the face. 
I got to pay how much for gas? I got to pay how much for a new car? I, how long do I have to wait for my furniture to arrive? People just don't see this as something that is supposed to happen in this country. They see empty store shelves and they think, what the hell is going on? Do I live in Venezuela? What is going on right now? Joe Biden is bringing that mindset to America. That's why his approval ratings at 33 percent. And all of this voting rights crap he went through yesterday is specifically to distract you from this, number one, and number two, to try to limit the damage uh, uh, to what could be a catastrophic 2022. We all know there's all sorts of misinformation out there, and it's more important than ever for parents to raise kids that like know how to ask questions and look for answers themselves. Annie's Genius Box is an excellent way to encourage your kids' curiosity while providing fun activities that are as entertaining as they are educational. Every month, uh, your little young uh, growing scientists will get a new box bursting with three hands-on activities to explore an exciting STEM theme like geology or chemistry or aerodynamics. Lots more. Uh, it's perfect for all kids ages 7 to 12. Genius Box can empower your kids or grandkids' imagination and critical thinking skills. Uh, they have cool like top secret mission envelopes that come in every box that walk you through all the steps and really cool projects that you can do with your kids or your grandkids. They can design a hovercraft, examine fossils, build robots, and so much more. Introduce your kids to real science, research, and the incredible value of asking good questions. Go to annieskitclubs.com slash stew. Annieskitclubs.com slash stew. You'll get 50% off your first box. It's annieskitclubs.com slash stew. Check it out now. It is the number one book on all of Amazon. Glenn's new book. It is called The Great Reset. You can check it out at glennbecksbook.com. It's glennbecksbook.com. Check it out now. Pick up your copy. Learn about the Great Reset because it's going to be really affecting all of us here in the next uh, few years and on. Uh, let me give you some comments from YouTube. You can always comment on the program live, youtube.com slash America. Of course, we always appreciate your ratings and reviews on podcasts as well. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Uh, this one comes in on yesterday's show where I was pretty much just yelling at everybody. Sorry about that. Uh, can we please have our new regular segment of Stu Thinks You're an Idiot? Yes, I may have called a bunch of people idiots yesterday. I didn't go back and see why. Um, maybe because you're an idiot if you don't know how to vote. I mean, I just I feel like you probably are. Uh, Joey writes, uh, Stu is disenfranchising the low information voter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they should. I don't, I'm not disenfranchising them. I just think that they should disenfranchise themselves. Don't rock the vote. Rock the couch. Um, Pop Rivet says, for some people, it's the smell of napalm in the morning. For me, it's Stu Does America. That might be the new slogan of the program. I mean, what could possibly work better? Back in a second. Okay, so here's what happened. Simon Bramhall, he's a doctor in the UK. He's doing a little, uh, you know, liver replacement surgery. And while he's in there, after he puts the new liver in, so he carved his initials into the liver. Is that a big deal in today's world? I don't know. Now, of course, the liver failed in like a week, so they caught him. And he went through a kind of an issue, got some legal problems. But now they're not going to let him practice medicine anymore. And, and you want to talk about cancel culture in action. Mm, just so, so sad. Banned for life. 
banned for life for doing what you love. And I mean, doesn't that just seem a little extreme for leaving behind a little calling card? Especially considering there's precedent for something like this, as seen in the documentary Scrubs a few years back. I just want you to know how serious I am about what I do. Did you stitch your initials into me? That's not important. <laughs> Look, everyone, it would be bad if he stitched someone else's initials uh, into the liver, and then when it failed, everyone knew that that guy sucked, but they were his initials.